apologize in advance if I sniffle a little bit, but uh, it's that time of the year. Um, thanks for coming to church tonight, guys. I have so been enjoying this series that we're in on worship. This is our third week. Uh, just to catch you up a little bit, for those of you that weren't here, uh, let me just do a little bit of Cold's Notes version on the first two sermons for you. So uh, we've been talking about worship kind of in a holistic sense, and two weeks ago, we talked about who, all right? That's probably the most important question to answer when it comes to worship, is who exactly are we worshiping? And we talked about how uh, there was, there's kind of only two options, it's God or us. And if we're worshiping us, it's just a bad source. We, uh, we do not, we are not worthy of worship. Uh, the who is always Jesus, the who is always him. And it's kind of the most important question we can answer. Everything, when you really think about the word worship, it's the most important thing. Worship is just who, it, 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 you worship the, the thing or, uh, that has the most importance in your life. For a lot of us, sometimes, we, sometimes we're that. And, uh, and that's true, and that's the source of all sin is when we worship ourselves more than, than the creator. And if you can, you can boil down every issue in life. To a, it's an issue of worship. So uh, the first week we talked about that Jesus is the only uh, adequate source of our worship. Last week, I had the opportunity to be sharing about uh, why, kind of the why would we worship. And we read this really neat story that I kind of forgot about and I, I stumbled upon in my study for last week about King Jehoshaphat in just one of the most epic stories that for some reason had escaped me for so long and I forgot about it. And it was, uh, it's that story where Jehoshaphat's getting attacked by three armies and his, and his response in total desperation in war is worship. And it's this, uh, it's this complete realization that there is nothing we can do. And so they gather everybody at the hilltop in Judah and they just have this epic worship service. And then somebody stands up and says, you know what, God's gonna vindicate us. God is going to vindicate us. We're not going to have to lift a finger, and we're going to win this war. A little hard to believe. It's just a worship service. But the guy stands up and says it, and the whole country rallies around it, and they actually march out into the desert, singing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever at the front of the army. And that image has just been resonating with me all week of this troop, of, this troop marching towards their doom, singing uh, the praises of God because they believe so wholeheartedly that God's going to save them and vindicate them. And lo and behold, they get there, and God's already won the battle. It's just this, it's just this morbid scene. <laughs> the armies just killed each other. And uh, uh, the why is, is, are we actually in a war, was what really re resonated with me in my study last week. Are we actually in one? And the desperation of, of Judah in that story is obviously very apparent. And uh, are we that desperate? Now, we don't have armies knocking on our doors, necessarily, but the principalities and powers, the battle is just as real, even though it doesn't feel like it sometimes, which is arguably the most important uh, tool in the enemy's pocket is just to keep it kind of subtle and not around. And uh, it, was a, it was a good time last week of delving into, are we in a war? And when we're in one, is God going to save us? And so that was a bit more of the why, because I think we are in one. I think we are in one. That's what we did sign up for. Uh, so this week, we're going, to talk, we're going to talk about when. When do we worship? When is appropriate? Now, of course, in a, in a war, is, 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 it could be a good answer for that. But I'd like to, uh, I'd like to go through a couple of psalms and, and, and delve into uh, what are the types of psalms. Well, psalms are worship. David wrote a lot of them, and there are other psalmists as well. Uh, they're, they're worship songs, essentially. And so uh, I kind of went through and, and, and did a little bit of study and, and, and see there's sort of three main types of psalms. 
And they're all written in different circumstances for different reasons. They're, they're different whens. They're a bunch of different whens, okay? So what I'd like to do today is kind of go through what the psalmists, and David being one of them, what were his whens for worship? What were his whens for getting in a room and just writing down praises to God? And obviously they're all really different. If you've ever read the psalms, they're actually sometimes really confusing. And they are this huge gamut of things that he complains about and, and, and is upset about. And then also these beautiful forms of poetry of who got it. And there's just the whens are very diverse. But they can kind of be boiled down into three. And so what I'd like to do today is read three examples, one from each. So we're going to read whole, whole chunks of Psalms, okay? We're going to let the Bible speak for itself a little bit and, uh, and kind of delve into some, are, some of the whens, okay? So uh, David lived a life that was totally reliant on God. If you want to talk about a worshiper, David's the first person that comes to mind. He was just the penultimate worshiper. Messed up sometimes and did a whole, like, made a whole bunch of mistakes. But as a worshiper, that's what he was famous for. I mean, he wrote the Psalms, obviously. But... Uh, he lived a life of worship that did transcend writing down some, some poetry and some books. Like that guy lived a life of worship in a very practical way that had real world implications and a whole bunch of different real world implications. It wasn't just defeat and war. Like the, the spectrum of how worship affect David's life, so broad. Okay, so let's, let's attack some of these things. The first one I'd like to talk about uh, it, it, the first when is when we're thankful. It's already up there. When we're thankful. So as an example of this, let's read one of the thankfulness psalms, okay? This one's the longest one, but uh, I think it's good to read it. You can put up Psalm 107. It's a little small, but if you open up your Bibles, you can read along there too. Psalm 107. Some of you remember this from last week. These are the Israelites singing this out in the desert. I wonder where they got it from. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and the south. Some wandered in the deserts, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains. But they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then, noticing a theme, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Some became fools, though, through their rebellious ways, and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. You're noticing this theme where there's, a, there's people do things wrong. They cry out, and God saves them, okay? Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. Again, it comes up again. Let them give thanks. And his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice uh, thanks offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. 
someone out on sea ships. And it's just, uh, we won't keep going, but it keeps doing this. It just keeps going over and over again, this cycle of uh, they, went, they did something wrong, they realized something was terrible, and then they cried out for the Lord. And his love endured forever, and he saved them. So these kind of thankfulness psalms, uh, I just want to read the end, though. Skip forward. Go one more, and, and then one more. Yeah. This is, this, let's just read the last thing. But he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. The upright see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. So a thankfulness psalm is really important because it, there's so much evidence, okay? And there's a type of worship that when we're looking around and we see God doing things really practically, we see the evidence of God moving, and a lot of us, we have stories of where God moved. We hear testimonies of when God did something really, really miraculous. And we give thanks to him because of this thing. And you'll notice in these thankfulness psalms, there's just story after story after practical moment after practical moment with real world implications where uh, they're going, see what God did right there. See what God did with that exact, within that exact time for this exact reason. So that's what a thankfulness psalm is. So, uh, do we, do we worship when there is evidence? Now that seems obvious. That seems obvious that when we see something really obvious that happened, a really good thing that happened, that we would worship for that. But this is something that I actually really struggle with. When we see something good that happens, my first thing I usually do is I just assume I did a good job. I just assume that I made something happen. Or I, I'm so guilty of this too. We, we pray for something that's really desperate. And then it comes true, and I forgot that I prayed for it. Has anyone done this? this happened? Like, you think back, like, I prayed for that. I need, I need to start doing prayer journals way better than I do, because some people have all these great stories about how God came through. It's because they wrote them down. <laughs> it's, like, really simple. Uh, I need to start doing that, because I, I, I so often will go, oh, that, well, that worked out. Lucky me. <laughs> you know? And God's just like, oh, my goodness. No, that was me. Remember, you asked me for it. And, uh, do we give thanks when something super practical happens in our life? When God rescues us from something really practical? You can put this next bullet point up. We worship, no, not that one, the one before was already up there. We worship when there is evidence of God's goodness to remain undistracted. That's the word I like to use. I get so distracted by my, by my alleged awesomeness from my point of view. <laughs> I get so distracted by how great I think I am at accomplishing all the things that God's doing in the background for me. And there is nothing more distracting than me. <laughs> for me, there's nothing more distracting. And the reason why I need to worship God when, it, when, it's, when it's seemingly the most obvious, when it's seemingly the most easy in a sense, it's like, well, look what happened. And that moment I go, God, Give thanks for your love endures forever. That was you. You're my God and you're good. That wasn't me. Maybe I participated in some way. Perhaps I was obedient. Perhaps I called on God. Those are good things to do. But let's be clear about who the victor is. Let's be clear about who the source of our worship is. And as soon as I stop worshiping in moments where I need to be, uh, have like a thankful psalm, man, I get so distracted with me and that leads me down a path of wickedness and thinking that I can accomplish it. And all of a sudden, I'm in a place where I can't accomplish things, and it leads to despair, and it leads to depression, and, and uh, 
hopelessness because I've been relying on myself. And God says, no, no, praise me when it's obvious and when it's good, because that was me, and I long to bless you. So, do we acknowledge God as the source of our blessing? When God blesses us, he, I think he blesses us so that we focus on him, hey? I think he does. And so often, I feel like a spoiled child that just looks at the toy I got and, uh, and don't acknowledge him. And <laughs> he's giving us that because he knows that we just need him. So that's the first one. Perhaps it's the most obvious. We thank God when we're thankful, when we're thankful. The second one, a little tougher. We thank God when we're distressed. When we're in distress, it was when we're supposed to worship. This was exemplified in the story last, last Sunday. That when the enemies are bearing down around us, that is when we need to worship the most, okay? That is when... Uh, that is when we're supposed to call on the Lord. I'll call upon the Lord and he will save me. This kind of psalm is called a lament psalm. It's called a, a, a song, it's a psalm that's written out of complete and utter distress. And if you've ever read some of these songs, they are harsh and they're very realistic. They're very, uh, they live in reality. They're not these fluffy psalms of, about, I guess none of them are fluffy, but they're not, they're not these airy-fairy, ethereal uh, they are, they're hardcore, and they're real. Let's read one of them, Psalm 44. I like this one. Let's put it up. We have heard it with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago. With your hand, you drove out the nations and planted our ancestors. You crushed the peoples and made our ancestors flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land. Nor did their army bring them victory. It was by your hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. This is a thankfulness aspect, okay? We're going to get to the distress part in a second. You are my king and my God, who decrees victories for Jacob. Though you, we uh, through you, we push back our enemies. Through your name, we trample our foes. I will put no trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory. But you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God we make our boast all day long, and we will praise your name forever. And this is where it really takes a turn, <laughs> okay? This where it becomes a lament psalm. But now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy, and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You sold people for pittance, gaining nothing from their sale. You have made us uh, a reproach to our neighbors, the scorn, the derision of those around us. This is a psalmist. This is a worship song, by the way. <clears throat> you have made us a byword among the nations. The people shake their heads at us. I live in disgrace all day long, and my face is covered with shame at the taunts of those who reproach me and revile me because of the enemy who is bent on revenge. All this came upon us, though we had not forgotten you and had not been false to your covenant. So now, this is, this is I love this part because this is all happening to us. And then the psalmist has the guts to be like, I've been, I've been good. I haven't screwed up. I've kept your commandments. It's just, it's fascinating to me, this little dialogue going on. You saved us before, now you're not, and it's not my fault. <laughs> it's basically how far we've come, <laughs> okay? Check this out. Uh, where were we? Yeah, our hearts had not turned back, our feet had not strayed from your path, but you crushed us 
and made us a haunt for jackals. You covered us over with deep darkness. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it since he knows the secrets of our heart? Yet for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. Oh, that's real. Isn't that, we're not going to sing that on Sundays anytime soon. I don't know how you put that into a song. It would be all minor chords probably, hey? And uh, I'm like, uh, there's something really refreshing about that form of worship to me. Because sometimes bad stuff happens and we have no idea why. And there might never be a good explanation for it. And I hate that. Because I want justice. I want knowledge. I don't want to, I don't actually sometimes want to trust in a God whose ways are higher than mine. I will never get it. And you can hear that desperation in this psalmist, can't you? We didn't, even, we didn't even screw up, and we're getting trampled. Explain this to me. So, this is the kind of worship when there is no evidence. When there is no evidence. We worship, where, so this is the point I was making. We worship when there is no evidence to remain undeterred. Undeterred. If you, if you go back to that psalm, and you read some of these things. Uh, and can you actually, actually click back? Yeah. Where's the one? Where's this line that I just love so much? <clears throat> uh, uh, yes, the end. We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and heal us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. Um, we get this crazy moment when things are terrible and there is no evidence to say, well, we trust you anyways. I trust you anyways. Could it actually be possible that, uh, that God would um, use the calamity and the brokenness of our world and the unfairness of this world to actually draw us closer to him? Could that be something God would do? I hope so. Because this world is broken. This world is not whole. And bad things just happen. And yet God would say to us as a people, uh, is it only when there's evidence? Or will you worship me even when all the odds are stacked against you? Even in the most confusing and despairing of times. And then I believe what the promise is, is God would go, watch me, watch me be enough there. Watch me be enough. Watch me be the one who satisfies. And uh, I'm not saying this is easy, guys. And we talked about, um, we talked about being in a war last week. And, uh, you know, I'm standing up here going, are we in a war? And then, lo and behold, this week, it's been a little hard. It's been a, it's been a bumpy week. It's been a little bit of a war. Uh, some stories, some terrible things happening. There are some, there's some pushback from some of this alpha stuff, from some principles not really liking it so much. There's some, I don't want to get too specific, but it's been a bit of a war this week. 
And I get to go, uh, so God, I'm super confused. I'm really confused. And I've, I've been lying sleepless, just using the Alpha as an example, because it's just practical right now, because it's starting this week. I've been, I was lying in my bed, I think, a couple nights ago, and I'm going, okay, so we're pushing all these kids out, and there's, there's, like, there's just them in the lunchrooms, okay? And as a youth guy, I'm like, oh, man, that actually takes a lot of trust for me to believe that. No offense, girls, but it takes a lot of, like, trust to be like, I don't know, we don't know how this is going to go. We have no idea how this is going to go. And I'm, and, and I had a couple conversations with some youth pastor buddies of mine, and we're like, uh, we're like, I didn't realize how hard this would be for me as the youth leader. I'm not even doing it. I'm not even in the school. But I, I'm pushing these kids out who signed up and said, I think God can use me. And I stand here going, <laughs> one, of my, one of my youth pastor guys was like, one of these kids stand up and he's like, I think God wants to use me. And in my head I'm going, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But he, and then he's like, no, 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 that's not, <laughs> that's so not in scripture. But we find ourselves doing these moments where, where, uh, uh, we're sitting here going, uh, this might not work. And I'm crying out to God going, there's a real chance that, and I don't want to be too doomsday here, okay, but just it's, it helps for the example, that there's a real chance that none of these go well. Maybe all the kids have a terrible experience. <laughs> Maybe God doesn't show up. Maybe all, they all get trampled. No, Catherine's like, oh, crap. <laughs> Maybe. No, I'm serious, though. That might be what happens. And, uh, and so, again, this conversation with my youth leader buddy, we're like, you know what? I have to believe that God would use that for his glory. I have to believe that 200 kids who we hyped up like you wouldn't believe to go do something crazy, and it, that all falls on its face, and God would go, do you, am I still good? Am I still good? I would be so mad <laughs> if that's what happens. I will be furious. I will write one of these psalms. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, God, why? Why? Just, I, I, I'm not that poetic. It'll just be why over and over again. Uh, but you know what? His ways are higher than our ways. And if my trust is in Alpha... And in Catherine and Michaela, <laughs> love you guys. Uh, it's, God's like, are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust me? Rubber's meeting the road a little bit. So I think we worship God in those places to remain undeterred. Because if we can find him there, we can find him anywhere. If we can find him there, we can find him anywhere. So does your worship of Jesus transcend your circumstances? Is it only the thankful ones? I think when we need, we need truth the most when times are hard. We need truth the most when times are hard. And I don't want to, that's when you want to hear it the least, isn't it? Isn't that when it just is the most, ooh, don't tell me what's actually true. You have no idea how I feel right now. Huh. I think we've all been there. Okay, so third one. Uh, calling it, we worship whenever. <laughs> we worship whenever. Third type of hymn. It's kind of like, uh, they call them liturgical hymns, or like, uh, like a doxology. And what that means is, is they're kind of just about God, just for who he is. There's no, there's no example of something really bad that just happened. There's no, uh, there's no really good thing that particularly just happened either. It's just God's God. And he's just amazing, period. 
regardless of anything that happens. It's, it's, it's besides all circumstances. Let's read one. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour, they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They have no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched his tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing my soul. The statues of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They're more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than the honey from the honeycomb. But them your servant, by them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me, then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Isn't it just beautiful language, hey? Just all these metaphors and just for no reason, just whenever. God, you're just good because. And then I just have to start talking about suns and tents and waves <laughs> because what else are you going to talk about? It's just so indescribable. I love that aspect. I love that kind of worship. So, the reason why I love it so much is because whenever, it's, it's just because he's worth it. In and of himself, in and of himself, totally un uncircumstantial, God is worth our worship. So doxology is the most abstract form of praise. Uh, the good definition that I found of it was where God is honored in joyful abandon simply because he's God. <laughs> where God is honored in joyful abandon simply because he is God. So, a little statement for this one. You can click the next one. We worship whenever, whenever, <laughs> to remain unencumbered. Okay? I had to find another unword so I could explain it. We worship whenever to remain unencumbered. Um, I think that uh, what I get most encumbered by is living in uh, the natural I get encumbered, and uh, the parable when Jesus talks about the weeds that just choke out life. Like, I think that, like, encumbered, just dragged down by life, by circumstance. So the first two psalms we talked about were all about what God did do or what God didn't do. Okay, really, really easy to just kind of go this or that. It's all kind of really real world stuff. And there's this other form of a psalm where it's just, uh, God, you're good uh, above circumstances. And I get so encumbered by circumstances sometimes. Where if, God's, if, if things are good, God's good. If things are bad, God's bad. If, if I had a great thing, then that, it, like, my circumstances directly affect the way that I feel about God. And I love this form of worship because it's just, God, you know what? You're good, and I don't want to be encumbered by the things of this world. Let me put you in your right place. Let me just say almost borderline nonsense. Just, just art, whatever. Just... I just want to put you there. I want to put you at the foremost place so that I'm not encumbered by the things of this world. Perhaps it's the one we should do first and do most.
So all is, your, is all your worship circumstantial? When times are good or when times are hard? I, the reason why I love this doxology form so much is because if the core of who God is and if that truth is there, uh, all that can happen to me is things. That's all that can happen to me. Just things. <laughs> I know that things sometimes really feel like things. But uh, sometimes more than others. But that's all. That's all. Because God's good despite circumstance. So, pure, un- uncircumstantial worship keeps God's worthiness and goodness as the focal point of our life. So, uh, here's why I love the uh, spectrum of psalms here. Here's why I love the diversity with which David and the psalms worship him. is because these psalms are, uh, they're about our whole life. They're just, it's everywhere. It's impossible to escape a lifestyle of worship if God's in his rightful place. It's, it's worship is this way that we live. It's, uh, it's this heart posture. It's when this happens, I'm going to worship. When this happens, this was really great, I'm going to worship. And when I'm kind of mundane and I'm kind of just meh, you know what? I'm going to worship. And it's so real world and it's so practical. I want to read a little excerpt from a, uh, uh, what are they called? Uh, uh, commentary that I thought was really great, describing these different kinds, modes of worship. So stay with me for one second, okay? Because I think this will be helpful. Much of our modern concept of praise is shaped by images of positive, emotive expression, often in the context of feeling good or expressing happiness in public worship, okay? It's often in expressing happiness. Yet, the psalmist teaches that teaches us that praise in the mode of lament, for instance, is just as important as praise in the mode of doxology or thankfulness. We suggest that our modern ideas of praise as a positive emotion are, 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 are much too narrowly conceived. It also suggests that laments with all the pain, grief, despair, even anger that they express are just as much acts of worship and faithfulness to God as are the most socially acceptable and popular positive expressions. The fact is, a crucial theological truth that is in danger of being lost in some circles of the church is one that only values the positive. The simple fact is, not all of life is positive, but all of life comes under God in these prayers in the Psalms. Uh, I find that so helpful, that worship actually isn't always positive, in the very narrow form of what the word positive means. Uh, sometimes, in the deepest, darkest moments, uh, we go, God, I, this is what I know is true, and I'm angry. Because you're not just a figurehead that I acknowledge once a week. You are my God, and you belong in every aspect of my life. You belong as the focal point. You, you, it is not unnatural for you to be the source of my utmost joy and my utmost frustration. Because you are my God, not my figurehead, not my head of state. You're my God who's with me in those moments. You're my God who modeled it even more than I will ever experience. And you're with me there. So I would encourage you, this, this was eye-opening for me. 
Because sometimes I feel, especially when I'm leading worship, that we have to create like these, all these big positive experiences where everybody walks away feeling super jazzed and, uh, and happier or something. Uh, I think we need to round out our definition of when we worship. For sure it's here. This is really great. But are we the kind of people who will worship in those deepest, darkest moments? Because he's there. Sometimes that's where he's the closest. Will we worship there? So, what I love about this is that worship is not a fake thing. Worship is not a fluffy, fake thing that we, like we just sing. <laughs> uh, worship is honest. I think worship is one of the most honest things we can do. It's, uh, how, how is it going with God? Who is he? Tell him that. That's worship. Worship isn't acknowledging who's in charge. It's not just telling someone how great they are, even though sometimes that is. Worship's acknowledging who's in charge. It's honest. God, you're my God, and this is hard right now. God, you're my God, and I'm going to make sure that you, that you did this for me. You provided this for me. God, things are a little, I'm a little bored, <laughs> but God, you're, you're there. You're there with me here. Worship is honest. Let's not be Let's not be dishonest in our worship and just only worship when things are really, really happy, when things are really fun. Let's be honest with it. Because you know what, guys? And this is, this is where I take my security and my hope in, is that God is secure. He's not insecure. I think, I think these psalms ended up in the Bible. I think they're, I think they're there because I, I, I just sometimes I picture God when, he's, when you're reading the ones where it's just like, where are you? Wake up. What are you doing? I sometimes I just picture God being like, yeah, come on, let me hear it. Bring it on. What do you got? Let's be real. At least we're talking. At least we're here together right now. At least we're here in this moment conversing. That's what makes him stoked. And of course, he's not insecure being like, oh, shoot. Oh, I didn't. Oh, like as if God's thinking that, right? As if he screwed up. Uh, there's, a heavenly, there's a heavenly mindset going on here. God thinks eternally. God thinks outside of time. And he's going, I love that we're here together because you have no idea what I have in store. You have no idea what's actually really going on right now. So I'm glad we're doing this together because that's what you need most. He's not insecure. Bring him those things. Worship in those moments. So kind of to conclude, I just want to ask three, just three questions. Um, which one's hardest for you of those three? Which one's hardest for you? Maybe it's thankfulness. Maybe it's the thankfulness one. I think this one is for me, to be honest. As I was thinking about it, do you get distracted with your own amazingness? That's a killer. Maybe, uh, maybe the distressed one is the hardest. Maybe when things are bad, God's no good. When things get better on their own, maybe I'll come back. Do you resent God for the calamity and forget what's ultimately true? Oh. Maybe, uh, maybe it's then the mundane. The whenever is hardest for you. Is God real outside of the things that happen to you? Is he a person that you know? Is he a friend that you walk with? Even when it's just hanging out? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Just praise him. Just praise you. That one's hard too. <laughs> They're all difficult. Uh, guys, the worship team, you can come back up. I'm going to wrap up. But... Uh, God wants a part of your everyday. 
And the original, uh, what I was going to call this sermon, and then it started to kind of come together with the who and the when and the what and all that stuff, so I used when. But the original title of the sermon was just worshiping in the everyday. Worshiping in just always. And uh, let's have a holistic version of what it means to worship Jesus. Let's have a holistic view of what it means to honor God for who he rightly is. And I have a feeling that there is this place in your life where God needs to be worshipped right now. Where he needs to be worshipped. And uh, it could be anyone in the street. It could be something I didn't mention. But uh, what I do know is that God is not insecure. God does have promises that are true. And our role is to engage with those truths. Our role is to go, I believe that is true. Now let's chat. I believe that's true. Now this, this is who you are. I believe that's true. Now what are we going to do? <laughs> it all starts with worship of him first. Uh, Father, we are, uh, we are so grateful that there is truth. We're so grateful that there is something that goes beyond our circumstance. We're so grateful that there is something to latch onto that transcends everything we can see and touch and understand. I just, I personally repent of making you the God of positive feelings, making you the God of my happiness. God, I, I invite you into every space of my life. I invite you to be my source of worship in every place. God, I want to worship you at all times. The when is always, and sometimes it looks different. Thank you for these beautiful psalms that we have, these beautiful examples of what it means to worship. And I thank you for how real they are. I thank you that the worship of you is not, it's not tradition. It's not convention. It's not ticking a box. It is the main thing you ask of us. So God, as we have a chance to worship here corporately as a family, I pray that we would engage with those truths and you would be speaking to us now about where we need to honor you properly. Thank you for the opportunity that we do have to sing in song as a community and as a family. We don't take it for granted either. But God, would you teach us right now and speak to us about how this needs to be perhaps more rounded out. We're so grateful that you're such a big God that wants a part of such a diverse, <laughs> you want part of all our lives. It's so humbling. So would we have a Lord as we worship here? In Jesus' name. Amen.